All right, so we're back uh, in the lectionary this week, and our text for today is uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, 21 uh, through 30. It should be printed in, in the bulletin if you want to read along or um, pull it up on your phone or in a Bible in the, the pew back. Um, yeah, so this is the second, just to preface this, this is the second half of one of my favorite uh, texts in all of the Bible. Um, so we're jumping into, into the story midway. Last week was the first half of this story, and then, and then now we get the second half of the story. <clears throat> then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that you have heard, that we have heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is, is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over, the, over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them except a widow of Zarephath in Sidon. There was also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Oh, Jesus, always getting away. Um, so like I said, this is one of uh, my favorite text in the entire in the entire Bible, uh, but we jumped into the middle of the story, so when we, when, he, when we read, he began to say to them, today scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, we don't know what scripture that is, and um, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit, so this is Jesus's uh, first uh, public appearance in the Gospel of Luke uh, to begin his ministry, so he shows up in the synagogue on Saturday, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and then he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down, and like we just read, everybody loves him, right? They're like, oh, wow, he's got all these great words uh, coming out of his mouth. You know, people like what he has to say. And then there's this confusing part um, where we're not sure um, if he's responding to something that's going on that we just don't have in the text, or if he's just sensing that they um, are somehow not receiving his message correctly. But he, he kind of knows that um, there's like a disconnect between those that are gathered in the synagogue and then what he's, he's saying. So in this text this morning, you know, what does Jesus do in seven verses that make this group of people want to murder him? Like, that's really intense. I mean, I've preached a lot of bad sermons here, people, but never, never have any of you tried to kill me. Uh, so what does Jesus do in this, like, block of seven verses uh, that make this group uh, want to murder him? So Jesus, I think here, amongst many things that he's doing, is calling out a system of blindness. And his first sermon is basically telling them and us that the good news is actually bad news, which is actually good news. 
all right? So I want to look at this text through three questions this morning. What do you want? Whose side is God on? And who do we support? All right, so those are the three questions that I want to use to, to look at this text. What do you want? Whose side is God on? And who do we support? So the first question, what do you want? In uh, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, who's going to be here tonight, plug, uh, in his book, Reconstructing the Gospel, he points out this question, what do you want? Because um, Jesus asked uh, uh, Bartimaeus, what do you want in Mark 10? And he says simply, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jonathan notes that Bartimaeus isn't just answering uh, this question about himself. As Mark tells it, he's answering for the disciples and the crowd and the religious leaders and for all of us who are blind, even if we don't know it. He said, Jesus says, what do you want? Where, where are we blind uh, this morning? I think our culture doesn't uh, applaud awareness, right? Like we don't want to, uh, we don't want to see how the sausage is made even. Uh, we prefer even communities that think like us, believe like us, look like us. It's a much safer way to be. But in Luke 4, Jesus says that one of the core practices that he came to do was recover the sight of the blind. What do you want? Bartimaeus says, I want to see, and I think that's part of our work too, is that we have to want to see. This requires perhaps throwing some things out. So I started packing yesterday because Andrea and I have to move uh, by the end of the month. And so I was pulling out uh, shirts from the closet and stuff, and trying to get them in, in this box. And I don't know if any of you, has, has anyone uh, watched the Netflix Marie Kondo, um, the, with the life-changing art of the tidying up, something like that? Um, so she wrote that book uh, several years ago now, and now it's a Netflix show. It shows you how to organize and purge. I haven't watched it, I have to confess, but I just imagine it's just a bunch of people crying in their closets, you know, just like, ah! Um, it helped you. Yeah, well, I think it's really helpful. Um, so I was kind of th thinking about that as I was, as packing up yesterday, and I do think it's fascinating that our culture both, it, like, we oscillate between uh, this, like, extreme consumerism and its promise for happiness, and then also like the extreme purging and its promise for, for happiness as well. Like we go through these extremes where it's like, we need to buy all the things. We need to throw all the things away. We need to buy more things. We need to throw all the things away. Um, maybe that's just me. Um, but I think if we think about this in regard to our faith, I think there are a lot of ideas, understandings, experiences, maybe what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus that need to be thrown away. Uh, what have we been like piling up? Like we, we're so lazy we don't even fold the clothes, at least in my closet. I don't even fold the clothes at the top of my closet. and like, ah, I just haven't worn that in eight years. I'm just gonna like stuff it up there and forget it. What things in our uh, life of faith, our, our communal Christian life, just needs to be thrown away? Um, what is keeping us um, from actually seeing what we need to see in ourselves, in our communities and in, in the world. So in this text in Luke 4 that I just read from, I think Jesus packs in the ingredients um, for us to Marie Kondo this weighty faith. Bring good news to the poor. Release the captives. Recovery 
the sight of the blind, set the oppressed free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This message is good news and bad news and more good news because it's honest about where we, uh, about what we each need, and it also provides us a path to walk on as followers of Jesus. So whose side is God on? I think this is a second question that Jesus is bringing up in the, in the midst of this, this gathering of people in the synagogue, is whose side is God on? Jesus' announcement here of good news for the poor um, shows his synagogue audience that um, God has a preferential option to the, for the poor. Uh, it's something you hear often in, in liberation theology, that God has a preferential option for the poor. So what that means is even in his audience's uh, mind frame, uh, they would have known themselves and, and seen themselves as God's uh, beloved children, those belonging to the covenant of Abraham, those in the fold of the community of people who would call themselves God's chosen, right? They saw themselves as this message being for, for them. Like this was, you know, the recovery of the side of the blind, said, let the oppressed go free. This is part of their, uh, their roots, their tradition, their history. This would have been something that they would have all been like, yeah. So you can understand even in 21 where they're like, yeah, this guy's, I like what this guy has to say. He's great. Um, but then Jesus elaborates on this cultural religious narrative, and he tells these two instances of the prophetic lives of Elijah and Elisha. Yet in these stories, Jesus is teaching his community that God, through the prophets, didn't just reach out to those on the inside, those in the traditional understanding of what it me meant to be um, someone in born into the covenant of Israel, but he's teaching a much wider view of God's favor, a much bigger view of the question uh, to the question of whose side is God on. And it says this, but the truth is there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. And then heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine all over the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them except a widow at Zarephath and Sidon. Not an Israelite, an outsider, someone who was religiously and culturally on the outside. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. Again, another Gentile outsider. That God's favor, for some reason, was not necessarily just in the places that it was supposed to be. Whose side is God on? And I, I want us to think of where have we limited our thinking on God's love? This message from Jesus is, is questioning our notion and assumptions of divine favor. Jesus was, was Jewish through and through, teaching in a Jewish synagogue to a Jew, Jewish audience, and he references his sacred Jewish text. But he's preaching a message from his tradition um, that is so much bigger than just the tradition. I mean, he's taking the tradition and expanding and showing, showing how it actually reaches everyone, that God's favor is not where they thought it was. Good news to the poor, release to the captives, recover the sight of the blind, set the oppressed free. We too must realize that the ones uh, that need liberating, uh, that we're the ones that need liberating from stuck ideologies and bad theologies that pretend to grasp and hold on to God's favor for ourselves. 
So that brings me to my final question this morning. Who do we support? And this morning, I want to take a particular look at this question um, and consider our Muslim sisters and brothers. According to the Council of American Islamic Relations, they have reported an unprecedented spike in bigotry tar targeting American Muslims and members of other minor minority groups um, since the last election. How do we understand this text this morning in relation to our sisters and brothers of different faiths? Where have we carried uh, bias, distinction, separation in our thinking because of our church attending, our practices, or just our everyday lives? As we identify, as we are people who identify with the Christian story, um, which is honestly most likely due to the, the place that we grew up, the family that we were born into, um, and the, the places that we've lived. I mean, not always, but those are factors that contribute to, to our um, religious and cultural understandings in much of the same way that this group in the synagogue would have been um, products of their own cultural and religious thinking. Um, it caused a, a type of blindness for the way that they lived their lives and understood um, God's love and God's favor. So where have we done the same thing? Have we assumed that we know God because of our tradition while not realizing God is over there as well, working and liberating the poor and oppressed? Through this text, we've been invited to have eyes to see, but I think we've often refused because it's much easier to stay over here and use Jesus knowingly or unknowingly as a dividing marker rather than the prophetic voice he is to show us that we've again missed the point. In Jonathan's book, he talks about the blindness of Bartimaeus and its connection to our racial blindness in American society, and he writes this. <clears throat> I'm like Bartimaeus, running towards Jesus, hands out to catch me if I trip and fall in the darkness that surrounds me. Still, I find hope in the way this gospel story shows us that all freedom begins with us wanting it. We have to want it. The synagogue audience uh, that was in front of Jesus that day, um, they didn't want to, they, they couldn't see how their own faith compelled them to a wider understanding of God's love that included everyone, including the unnamed Gentile widow from Zarephath and a leper from Syria. That morning, they were unaware of their, of their blindness. And I can't help but think this morning that we are probably unaware of some blindness as well. The way of Jesus should always open us up to an expanding capacity for us to experience God's love in other people. The way of Jesus is a participation in the way of liberation that Jesus speaks of in Luke 4. In this way, we will find grace and freedom not only in others, but for ourselves. At the end of his chapter on racial blindness, Jonathan concludes with addressing that question, what do you want? And I want to think about who do we support as people, as Christians, as uh, the community of Mission Hills, um, how, who do we support? How are we supportive with, with our time, with the, with the way that we, uh, the conversations that we have? 
Uh, do we have the kind of converse conversations that, that make us uncomfortable, that open us up to, uh, to meeting new people and understanding where God is at work in our own community in, in different ways than our traditional, um, traditional mechanisms for that? Jonathan writes this. He says, as long as Jesus eats with the disciples and Brother Franklin Graham sits down for dinner at, with the NAACP, there's a possibility that we can learn something more. Maybe even learn that our true Christian duty is to see and want each other. And I love that phrase, that our Christian duty is to see and want each other. And if we're thinking about that in the context of this verse, and we're trying to open ourselves up to seeing other people, uh, seeing the divine in other people, how do we look upon every person we come across and, and see that the Christian journey and the Christian practice and our call as Christians is actually to desire and want that person more than we could ever imagine. Uh, this morning I have cards. Um, Andy, can you, can you grab the cards on the back table? I have cards and pens. <clears throat> uh, this morning I want to be, I want to, for us to be open um, to the prophetic Jesus in this text that's offering us new sight to see, um, maybe a new desire to, to, to want relationships with those that are different than us. Maybe the prophetic Jesus can show us that God is wild and moving all over the world in different people, different religions, different movements of liberation. And as Christians, we are simply invited to join in this way, this path of Luke 4. Uh, sometimes, and some, I, I say the versions of this, but sometimes I think we, we make Christianity really complicated, right? We have all of these, um, we have all of these books, we have all of this information, um, we have a tradition that spans over 2,000 years. Um, I mean, billions and billions of people uh, that have passed on this faith to us. And that can be a bit overwhelming, right? Because there are so many opinions, there are so many different versions of Christianity, kind of like we talked about a few weeks ago, like what kind of, there's a lot of different kinds of Christians out there. Um, so all of this can be fairly overwhelming. But at its core, I, I go back to this Luke 4 text. Uh, recover the sight of the blind, set the oppressed free, good news to the poor, that these are the magic art of tidying up Christianity, right? Uh, that this holds um, a groundedness uh, of what um, we both need to continually hear, um, that, that Jesus is calling out our own blindness, um, setting us free. And then it's also that path to walk on that, okay, this is this is the, the Christian life, that we are to continue to move out and find, uh, find Jesus in the act of love and liberation. So this morning, I want us to, to take a pen and take these note cards, and I want us to think about um, our Muslim sisters and brothers, particularly this morning. And I'm not really sure how this is going to work out. It might be different for everybody and what you write. Um, but I want you to write uh, maybe a short note um, I've 
built kind of a, a, a relationship with the Islamic Center of Northridge, um, especially after the, um, the Muslim ban last year. Um, I reached out to them and let them know that they have a supportive community here. And, um, and so we've, we've communicated, but I haven't communicated in, in a while, but what if we were to, to write our sisters and brothers their notes? What would we say? How, how would you uh, imagine this text um, calling us into a new way of understanding um, where the divine is at work in our community, in the lives of people that share, um, share a different faith tradition than we do? Um, and how that draws us into a new space of love and openness in our call to be followers of Jesus. So um, if you, if you want to write a note or just kind of you know, jot some thoughts down, um, that, would be, that would be great. If you want to write something that um, we can send, um, I'm more than happy to, to send all of these, these notes um, to them this week. So um, you don't have to, to write something that um, is meant to be sent but just to, to use this time to explore and expand um, the possibilities of a new kind of love and a new kind of sight being opened up within our community this morning. So we'll take a few minutes and then I'll, I'll close this in a prayer.
loving God is um, we reflect this morning, may we realize that uh, your love and your grace um, goes so far beyond any category that we could come up with. We thank you that you um, expand our capacity to love, that you bring good news to the poor. May we also bring good news to the poor. We thank you that you recover our blindness, that you call us uh, to set the oppressed free, and that you call us to be free. May we continue to uh, stumble down this path. May we throw out things that need to be thrown out. And may we hold on to the core values and practices um, that you show us um, and that you lived. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.